This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. I appreciate you so much for listening to this week's episode, which happens to be episode 236, entitled, What is a Mediator? Now, before we look into our topic, I have an exciting announcement. So, for fans of the Gospel of John, those who are interested in studying the fourth gospel, there is going to be an exciting announcement taking place in next week's episode. So be sure to tune in next week to hear this super secret announcement, and it definitely pertains to the study of the Gospel of John. I assure you, you do not want to miss it. Now, in this week's episode, we will explore the concepts of the mediator within the Greco-Roman world and within the pages of the New Testament. Now, modern-day mediators act as counselors and neutral parties between two parties that are in a disagreement, but the role of the mediator within the Greco-Roman world had many more duties and responsibilities. So defining the mediator is critically important, especially since it pertains to the Christological understanding of Jesus within many New Testament passages, and it also pertains to Jesus' relationship to the one true God. If we only have a very narrow understanding of what a mediator is based on the way that it's used in the 21st century, and we read that back into the pages of the New Testament, when the New Testament definition actually is something much larger and more expanded, then we are limiting our ability to interpret the New Testament texts as they were intended. So here's some questions I would like to explore in this week's episode. First, how did the mediator in the Greco-Roman world differ from the role of mediator in the 21st century. Second, how does the Apostle Paul understand the mediating role, and is God ever a mediator within the New Testament? Third, how does the book of Hebrews portray the high priest as a mediator between God and the people? And lastly, What can we learn about New Testament Christology by exploring how the role of mediator is given to Jesus Christ? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is defining mediator within the first century. So we've got to get some definitions here. So the BDAG definition, the BDAG is the standard Greek lexicon for New Testament studies tells us that the noun translated into the English word mediator comes from the Greek noun mesitis. And the BDAG lexicon defines a mesitis as one who mediates between two parties to remove a disagreement or reach a common goal. 
it is a mediator, and it could also be understood as an arbitrator. Now we also learn that there is a semantically related word to our Greek noun mesitis. There is a verb, mesitevo, which only appears one time in the New Testament, which means that it is a hapax legomenon. It's a fancy word of saying that it's a word that only appears one time within a corpus of literature. And so this verb has a similar meaning to the noun. It means to mediate or to settle a matter. That verb appears in the book of Hebrews. Now, the function of this mediator especially in regard to this Greek noun and the verb, appears in literature outside of the New Testament. For example, in Thucydides, in his History of the Peloponnesian War, Book 4, uses the role of a mediator to describe a neutral party in whom both sides can trust. And in this way, the mediator actually functions as an umpire. That's interesting. So now we're using this modern American baseball language to see an umpire that is a neutral party. It's not on one particular side or the other. It's a neutral party, and both sides can actually trust this particular figure. So that's an interesting definition in this expanding understanding of what a mediator is in the Greco-Roman world. That might be a little bit different of a nuance than the way we understand and use the role of a mediator in the 21st century. We can also see the role of the mediator in Polybius, who wrote a massive history of the Roman period, Book 28. And Polybius uses the role of a mediator to describe someone who is a negotiator of peace. This would indicate that two parties are in conflict with one another. There is a disagreement. And this piece is not just two parties that disagree on a particular topic. This is two parties that are in disagreement to the point to where they are at war with one another. So a negotiator of peace could be peace in the strongest sense of the word. We can also see the role of a mediator in Diodorus Siculus in his Library of History, Volume 4, Book 54. And Diodorus describes this role as one who guarantees an agreement. He is a guarantor. So this is someone that you can go to, and he's going to guarantee that agreement is going to come to pass. So we have all these different nuances of what a mediator would do and how the mediator would function within the Greco-Roman world. What's also interesting to consider is that sometimes within the Greco-Roman world, two or more mediators are actually appointed. And there's some examples of village mayors functioning as mediators when they are under the permanent control of a military officer when they are in a colonized nation. So there are some occurrences to where a particular military officer would employ multiple mediators to deal with the people that have been colonized. And this is important because the New Testament, at least in some passages, would indicate that there is one mediator. Why would you make the impression that there's one mediator? Because there are places in the Greco-Roman world where multiple mediators are being employed. 
So we've got a good feeling of what the mediator would mean in the Greco-Roman world in the first century. And now we can turn and look at the way that the noun, mesitis, is used in the New Testament. It appears six times in the New Testament, three times within the Pauline literature, and three times within the book of Hebrews. So this moves us to our second point. Point number two, mediators within Pauline theology. The two passages we're going to be looking at are going to be Galatians chapter 3 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now in Galatians chapter 3, which is authentically Pauline, we have the noun mesitis appearing in two back-to-back -back verses. The first time it shows up is in Galatians chapter 3 verse 19, which says, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. That's Galatians 3.19. Now, this particular passage is a little bit tricky, and there's a long history of interpretation regarding the role of mediators in the giving of the law and the role of this particular mediator. This particular mediator, although the person is not named, almost certainly is a reference to Moses. The law was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through the angels by the agency of a mediator, that mediator being Moses, the mediator of the law, the law of Moses. And of course, this was given until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. And so the mediator here seems to be the person that is mediating the law of Moses, the old covenant. And the covenant, of course, has two sides. It has God, the God of Israel, the Father. And the other side, of course, is Israel, the nation of Israel, the people that receive the covenant. And the mediator here is a person who is mediating in between these two parties. Clearly, that is the person of Moses. And then in verse 20, the next verse, it says that now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Galatians 3.20. Now this is making the point that a mediator is not there to strictly represent one particular party, where, on the other hand, God is only one. Namely, God is only one person. The Greek adjective is. God is one person. One person masculine. Which is clear. So God can't function as the mediator in at least this particular role. And, of course, this is Paul, the Christian, continuing to acknowledge the Jewish creed of Israel, the oneness of God, the Shema, and that God is one, God is one person, God is one unique individual. But here the contrast is that a mediator can't function simply for one particular party, to where God actually is only one. God is only one person. God is not functioning as the mediator between God and Israel. That would be silly. So there we have two occurrences of the word mediator, and it's very clear the mediator functions as the middle person that is helping to bring about covenant relations. Now, the next occurrence is in 1 Timothy 
chapter 2, which I'm including in the Pauline uh, theology section here. I'm going to get the sense of this particular passage by starting a little bit earlier in verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. That's 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 6. So here we have, in verse 5, the noun mesitis, referring to the mediator. This mediator is defined as the human being, Christ Jesus, and he is mediating between two clearly defined parties, between God and men. That God, of course, is the one God. The one God who is the God our Savior, the God who desires for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So how does God bring about this desire for human beings to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? He does it through a mediator. The mediator is someone on the side of human beings. He is a human being, Christ Jesus who is able to die. He gives himself up as a ransom for all. He completely dies, meaning he is a member of the human race. He is mortal. He gave himself up as a ransom for all. So this, of course, helps us to define a mediator, one that's between two clearly defined parties. And yet this mediator is not someone who is defined as God or a part of God or a person of God. It doesn't say that there is one Godhead and a mediator between the Godhead and men, the God-man, Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that. It's someone who is not described as God. He is distinguished from God. He is clearly defined as a human being. And as a human being, he's able to be a ransom for all human beings, the human beings for whom God has a desire to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that's a very important understanding of what the mediator actually is. And the implication there, of course, is that Jesus as the mediator is one that continues to distinguish him from the person of God. It also defines him as a human being, as one who is mortal, and one who completely died in order to save and ransom human beings. That's important. So there we have mediators within Pauline theology, those three occurrences in Galatians 3.19, Galatians 3.20, and 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. The remaining three occurrences of the noun mediator appear in the book of Hebrews. So let's move to our third and final point, the mediator within the book of Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews, Jesus is going to be identified as the new high priest. He has a perpetual priesthood, a priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. We just recently had a podcast on who is Melchizedek, drawing on many of these passages from the book of Hebrews. And that priest is someone who in the Old Testament had a mediating function. The priest would mediate holiness and forgiveness between 
the God, the God who is sacred, and to Israel, the people in need of God's holiness and God's forgiveness. And so the priest had a very important function there. Now that priest, of course, was a human being. He was a part of the humanity as the one group that is being represented as the role of the mediator. And so when Jesus is described as the high priest in the book of Hebrews, it is only natural to assume that he is also a human being from among that particular people. Let's look at the three passages. So the first one is in Hebrews chapter 8, and I'm going to start in verse 6. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. That's Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. So what we see here is that there were two covenants, the first covenant and the second covenant. This is pretty easy to identify within our Bibles because our Bibles are divided into two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This is going to be translated for you as the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the word testament means covenant. So we have the Old Covenant, which is called the First Covenant in verse 7, and then we have the New Covenant, the Better Covenant. So there are two covenants. So the New Covenant is not the same thing as the Old Covenant, as some biblical Unitarians err in interpreting. So Jesus here is the mediator of a better covenant. It has better promises. And of course, if we're talking about Jesus functioning as a mediator within the realm and purview of covenant relations, then the two parties are very easy for us to identify. Within the covenant, God is the one that is the creator of the covenant, so he is one particular side, and he enacts the covenant with his people with the people of God. So they are the other side. And so Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, indicating that he is the high priest in the midst of these two parties. And of course, this is a person that is trying to bring about better promises. There were faults in the first covenant, namely the inability of the second party, the people of God, to honor and obey the covenant in light of their sinful condition. So here we can see that Jesus is functioning as the role of a mediator and the particular specifics in this act of a mediator involve two sides that are understood through the lens of the covenant, where the two sides are God and the people of God. That much is pretty clear. The next occurrence of the role of mediator is in Hebrews chapter 9. Starting in verse 13, it says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death 
has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 through 15. So again, Jesus described as the mediator and the persons involved in the mediating role are described in terms of a covenant. He is a mediator of the new covenant. Now in this, it's clear that Jesus is one who has died. It is the blood of Christ that cleanses our conscience from dead works. And the blood of Christ was offered to God. In fact, Jesus offered himself. He offered his whole person. He was without blemish, the perfect Jesus. He was offered to God. So it's clear that Jesus is distinguished from the one God. Jesus is not part of the one God. He's not a member of the Godhead. He is someone who was mortal, who died, and yet he was without blemish. Of course, in the covenant, we have the roles of God and the people, and it is understood that the readers are part of that group of people, the people of God, where it says that they're going to have their conscience cleansed from dead works, and the people are supposed to serve the living God. And Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, and this, of course, deals with the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant. So again, Jesus functioning as a mediator. The conflict that is involved is the need to bring about a new covenant, and that conflict stemmed from transgressions committed under the first covenant. The result, of course, is that the covenant is going to bring about many promises to the people, and one of them is the promise of an eternal inheritance, a location, a place that is never going to end, and it, of course, has to do with the age to come. It's an inheritance described as involving the age to come, the inheritance of the age to come. That's what an eternal inheritance means. The last occurrence is in Hebrews chapter 12, which has a lot of very interesting metaphorical language. So in Hebrews 12, verse 22, it says, You have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God of the heavenly Jerusalem and to myriads of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. So again, Jesus is described as a mediator within the book of Hebrews, and again, like clockwork, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus is that perfect person who stands between God and the people that are in need of covenant relation. So the role of Jesus in the book of Hebrews is not just that he is a mediator. He is a mediator of the new covenant that is dealing with the problems of the first covenant. And in doing so, Jesus is repeatedly distinguished from the one God. In this passage, it says that we have come to God, the judge of all, and we've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. That is quite clear, because God 
as the creator of the covenant, is also the person who's going to be the judge of the covenant. And Jesus, the mediator, is not taking that particular role in this passage. He is the mediator of the new covenant. So a lot of interesting things we could see about Jesus being the mediator within the New Testament. Not every occurrence of mediator within the New Testament refers to Jesus. We saw one occurrence in Galatians 3.19 to where it referred to the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, to where Moses is likely the understood referent to the mediator in that passage. But Jesus the mediator, and the mediator seems to be someone who is distinguished from God in every single occurrence in the New Testament. The New Testament indicates that there is only one mediator within the new covenant role. The mediator is Jesus, and that Jesus is someone who is able to represent the people on the other side as someone who has died on their behalf, meaning that he has qualities that God doesn't have, which is mortality, the ability to die. God is immortal. So there you have it. There's our study on what is a mediator within the Greco-Roman world and the New Testament. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please join us next week as we explore an Old Testament passage that looks forward to the promised Messiah while calling the Messiah Yahweh. What is this passage and how is the divine name being used and what does this passage tell us about the ways in which the Messiah was understood within Jewish messianic expectation. Please look forward to our next episode, which of course will have our exciting announcement about the Gospel of John. Now, if you enjoy our podcast and you support our mission, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound, non-negotiable truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus Christ. You can support us for free by subscribing on YouTube and iTunes, by giving us an honest review, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you feel led to offer a donation, you can check out the PayPal link in the description of this podcast. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.